Welcome back to another episode of University Overwhelm. I am Sophia Payne. And I'm Scott Busby. And we work at Liberty University in the Office of Community Life. On this podcast, we will equip and inspire you to thrive in college, meet your goals, and understand your God-given purpose. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. And we're back for another week to talk about our series on getting plugged into a local church. We are exploring what it looks like to uh, understand what a healthy church looks like. We're exploring how to get plugged into a healthy church, what even that means to get plugged into a healthy church. Uh, And we also would like to spend some time talking about what a biblical worldview is, how to develop a biblical worldview, what a healthy one looks like, and also even what the heck is a worldview in general. Uh, And today we asked Dr. Van Ingen to come in. And you can call me Rob. Okay. I'm probably going to call you Van Ingen. <laughs> That's fine, too. <laughs> I will call you Rob. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, and we asked Van Ingen to come in. Uh, honestly, I think we figured out like 12, 13 years ago was when I had you for Biblical Worldview. At the time, it was called Gen Ed. Um, and this is just a topic that I think that you do a really great job on because it has been your job to do a great job on it. Uh, but can you just kind of explain who you are, what you've been teaching kind of in general, and how long you've been teaching here at Liberty? Yeah, I'm a graduate of Liberty University. So I came to Liberty for two reasons. I wanted to play football, and I wanted to be a pastor. And I did both my freshman year. After my freshman year, I got married to my wife who came with me, who was my girlfriend. And we got married after our freshman year of college. She had a softball scholarship. I didn't get a football scholarship. So she finished her career in softball and her education. Then I came back and finished my my education in pastoral leadership. And so we've been associated with Liberty since 1980 when we first came here as freshmen. And so that idea of Liberty is ingrained in us. My, My kids have graduated from here. My in, how do you call them, in laws, daughter in law, yeah. and son-in-law graduated from here so we're a liberty family um so liberty has been a part of that and then when i, I pastored for several years almost 25 years and then came back to liberty to teach in 2006 so i pastored here in the area for 14 years and then moved to michigan and then, then moved back to teach at liberty uh, in 2006 so i've been teaching there since since um 2006 the, the fall of 2006. Wow, that's awesome. And what types of classes do you teach? I teach um, mainly, it's called Introduction to Biblical Worldview, and we address that biblical worldview connected with contemporary issues, so the issues that you would face in the culture today and how to engage the culture from a biblical worldview perspective. And then I teach Christian leadership classes. I teach a team dynamic class, uh, so we, we get the leaders that come through the School of Divinity it's not a necessarily school of divinity. I, this year I have an engineering student. I have had business students. And we talk about that idea of developing your, your team. And we talk about uh, the DIS profile, the personality profile of DISC. I don't, you may not be familiar with that. But it sort of gauges how a person is, how they live their life, and the, the way they make decisions, those type of things. So it helps them structure sort of this team building aspect of who when they go into ministry, they do certain things in, it. in their life. That's really cool. Um, so like I said, kind of in, in the beginning, one of the reasons that we wanted to have you is because I think you handle biblical worldview so well. Um, I still remember certain lessons that you taught, honestly. Um, 
literally no other professor at Liberty gets to hear me say that to them because I don't remember much else. <laughs> um, but I, I, find it, I find it incredibly important to take time, especially as a college student, to work on this because it's one of those um, one foot is kind of still at home and one foot is out the door in the sense of, you know, on breaks, yes, they're going home, you know, and they're still hearing opinions from their parents, which is great, you know, love that. Um, but also that foot that's out the door is, and you're starting, you know, to kind of take a step away from that unit and say like, well, what do I think? Um, and so to kind of kick things off, what would you say is like your definition or is a kind of general definition of what a worldview is? Yeah. And I want to play off what you just said mm-hmm. too, because, um, I, I, I got a yellow Volkswagen Beetle when I earned my PhD and in 2014. And so, I go into the classroom with the students that I say my goal is to challenge your belief system and I want you to own your belief system like you own your like I own my yellow Volkswagen Beetle. I want you to cherish them. I want you to live them out. I want you to take care of them. And so I'm going to challenge your worldview and your thinking on how your life goes. So there may be things you've learned from your pastor. There may be things you've learned from your parents that you go, why do, I, why do I live those things out? Why do I embrace those, that belief system? And my goal is to challenge you so that when you own your belief system, you're going to live them out. I, I value what I own and I'm going to live those out. And that really affects re- even church. Like I'm going to value going to church, right? I'm going to value investing in a church serving in a church i'm that's going to be part of that's a belief system part of my belief system that's going to be value and it's really affected by a worldview and we define it as the way we view the world and make value judgments about life so the way we view the world we look at the world around us and go what am i doing here how am i going to operate in this existence and then what decisions am I going to make about this? What the value judgments? What what things am I going to do that make a difference in my life and the life of others? And so that's a worldview. That's how we define worldview, and 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 sort of start off with the students to say, where is your worldview? And you know, looking at the world around you, your belief system. Do you embrace those wholeheartedly? Um, I, I use an illustration, I just told an illustration the other day, but I use this illustration about my, I'm creating a new religion called Oreology. And that new religion of Oreology embraces all other religions. Because I tell people, what, like when we first start, we talk about critical thinking, and I want you to be a critical thinker to analyze the things around your world in this life that you live in. And then I want you to make decisions about those things. So you have to be a critical thinker, a self-guide, a self-disciplined person that understands the world around them and the decisions that they're going to make with that. And so I, I say, you can't believe everything I tell you. You have to analyze and evaluate it. You can't believe everything you hear in Convo. You, you're going to have to evaluate the church that you go to. Are they living out a biblical worldview? Are they invested in that? And so. There has to come a point in time in that that you critically think about your worldview, and so I then then I just bring up this idea of oreology and and I'm creating a new religion. I'm going to put the Oreo shrine that I have in my office on top of the tower and ring the bells five times daily, and you're going to fall and worship at the Oreo shrine. And I just create this whole a dynamic. I said we'll take Oreo Eucharist at the end of the semester, so you'll know how to eat an Oreo cookie and all these things. So I include this, and then I then then I come back the next class and I go. 
How many of you went to um, your friends, your family members, and told them about the Oreo Shrine? They go, all these hands start going up, you know, they start raising their hands. They go, how do you know it exists? How do you know I have an Oreo Shrine in my office? Because you told us. Said, I told you not to believe everything I tell you. Even though I put a picture up there on the slide in, in the classroom, doesn't mean that it actually exists. How do you know that that exists? We don't. Said, here's where critical thinking comes in. There's more evidence to show that Jesus existed and walked on the face of the earth. Yet you'll go tell somebody about an Oreo shrine before you'll tell them about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about your belief system. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your worldview. Let's talk about are you actually living it out and making value judgments about the way life works. And so I come at it with those very practical, very in-your-face type of things that just says to the student, yeah, I just embrace this without even evaluating, is it true? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's vitally important. And that's where, that's where worldview then starts ingraining into the person, into their thinking. And that's the way I like to take it that way. Yeah. So, oh, that was so good. Um, Something like that you were talking about with like the critical thinking made me wonder this. So you kind of talked about like they just take what you you told them not to, but you know they take what you say and they and they trust you. They want to trust you. Where does that come from? As far as de- developmental, is that a like they're transitioning out of that kind of just being the norm for so long? You know, from zero to eighteen, they just kind of get to be on default. You know, and and just get told by their parents something and, and check out or even. You know, they're so used to maybe this one um, internet resource is usually honest, so I don't have to think about it, for instance, or whatever, to, you know, is there a flip or a switch flipped, you know, as far as like, oh, now I have to start questioning things, you know, whatever. Where does it um, come from that they just automatically believe you (laughs) to kind of maybe even starting to question things? It's the way they've always done it. It, it is just, it's sort of ingrained in most students. I have to believe my parents. I have to believe my pastor. I have to believe my teacher in school. Okay, they're going to tell you the truth most of the time. But the, like I, I say to students, I said, when you go home on break, call your mom by her first name. They go, I can't do that. I said, why? I said, you're an adult now. Like, does your mom tell you you have to go to bed at... 10 o'clock because you're at home and they go no do you stay up till two o'clock in the morning like you do here yeah and your mom says shut the tv off it's time to go to bed and you go but i'm a college student i'm an adult and so that independence see how that independence sort of drives them into that i've got to take care of my life I've got, I, I can't rely on the things in the past that I've done. I have to, and I think that's where that, that, that switch that flips is that independence when they realize, and I try to get them to think about that idea. You're on your own now with your belief system, with your value judgments that you make. You're on your own as an adult. And I tell them I'm treating you like an adult. So you're going to have to make decisions about your own life, even when you're at a university that tells you, you got to do this you got to do that. You're still going to have to make decisions about your own life. Hmm. So, Rob, back to the kind of the, the core concept of worldview. Like, what would you say distinguishes, we want to talk about biblical worldview. Like, what what is it that distinguishes gener- just a general worldview 
and a biblical or a Christian one. Yeah, the worldview, we use the illustration of glasses and rose-colored glasses, and we have students put on them. So a, a worldview is like a lens, and it, it, it gives you a perspective on the world around you and helps you make value judgments. So it's, uh, it's very important to put on the corrective lenses that allows you to see the world of how it should, how it is, yeah. and how it should be, and so we say that there's two frameworks, and those two frameworks or those two glasses that you put on is sort of a secular humanistic worldview, a worldview that says, "I'm in charge of my own life. I can do what I want to do. There's nobody that's going to tell me or force me to do anything against my my value judgments. I'm going to decide for myself." And we call that sort of an anthropocentric, a man-centered thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Where a biblical worldview is based upon the framework of Scripture. So the Scripture is my lenses. And it's a theocentric or God-centered worldview where my thinking is now controlled by God. I want the framework of Scripture to design and develop. And I want, I want to evaluate the framework of Scripture and see things through the Bible, the lens. And so I lay that biblical worldview out in a framework of creation, fall, redemption, where God in the beginning, he created order and structure. And I tell the story of the biblical worldview from Genesis to Revelation. It's the whole story. You, you have to embrace, if you're going to embrace a biblical worldview, you have to embrace the whole story. It's just not God created and he created everything good. Okay. Mm. But man fell. They chose to disobey God. So I now need to live in a right relationship with him in order to live out my life, see the world around me the way I should see the world, the way he wants me to see the world. But I can't do that because I'm fallen. Now I need Jesus. Hmm. I need Jesus to step in and be the redeemer and set everything right again so that I can live according to his truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so you're, you're, you're trying to get them to think through that framework of Scripture. And I tie it all in from beginning to end with this idea of relationship. Hmm. And I say, God in the very beginning created us because he loves relationships. He wants to be with us. He would come down regularly in the garden to spend time with his image. Why? Because he wants to be with us. He, relationship attaches everything. When the fall took place, it devastated him because it devastated his relationship with his image. And he, he because they hid from him. They didn't do this before. They hid from him. Mm -hmm. And he was devastated. Where are Adam, where, where are you? He's devastated. And he, but even in the middle of in the beginning of the story, he says, "I'm going to set things right. I'm sending. I'm going to live with you. I'm coming to dwell among you. I'm going to be here in flesh." And 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 that's and then in in John 14, where he talks about, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life." He concludes that, or in the middle of it, he says, "He says, guess what? This relationship is so vital that when I go away." I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending somebody to help you, but you're going to be with me. How can we know the way? Where, where are you going? Philip asked, right? Says, uh, he says, you're, I'm preparing a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be where I am so you can live with me forever. See, it's relationship, mm. and it's all tied to relationship. And so we should read the, we should read the redemptive act as a relationship act, an act of 
I, I want to be with you, and I'm preparing eternity for you. Hmm. Do you want to prepare? You don't. Do you want to be in eternity with me forever and ever? Yeah. Then you get to Revelation. You see that. Behold, I'm making all things new. Right. Right. Well, it, it's yeah. it, no. It's even in the in 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 Revelation 20 hmm. that your name was not found in the Lamb's book of life. Depart from me, because I never knew you. Hmm. Yeah. Relationship, right? Right. I never knew you. Right. You're gone. Separated from me. That's the most devastating part of the biblical worldview. To know that there's going to be family and friends that are going to be separated from God. Mm. And so this is vital. This is vital that we need to be in the body of Christ. We need to be in relationship. We need to be in a church that holds us accountable that says, you're not living right. And if a student is not living, is not involved in a local church where they have connections and relationships with the body of Christ, they're going... I de- I'm going to be bold and say they can't live a truly authentic Christian life without the body of Christ. I, I say this to students all the time. Why create the church? What a, what a, what a stupid organization. <laughs> it, it, it so is. Like We have to volunteer to go to this place. We have to volunteer to serve. We have to time, vo- off. Yeah. time off. We have to voluntarily give our money to this place. Mm-hmm. What in the world are we doing? And I said, it's all because of Jesus. That's it. He wants a relationship with us, and this is how he's called his body. And this is how we have relationship with him. Mm-hmm. I love that because as Jesus, you know, was walking this earth and having his ministry, as he was helping, you know, his disciples and then any of the followers uh, outside of the disciples to develop their worldview, you know, he was doing it in such a relational way that he was telling stories. And he was doing it in such a way that he would ask them questions. You know, um, obviously there's the Sermon on the Mount where we have him speaking out and saying very like steadily, here are my thoughts. You know, here is what we should be doing, that kind of thing. But a lot of times that crowd work, you know, the conversations he was having were that. They were conversations. They were over a dinner table. They were breaking bread. Um, They were very vulnerable moments, you know, where a woman's about to get stoned and he's asking questions and kind of challenging like, perspective and and viewpoints and that kind of thing. So I love that throughout the entire Bible, we see that pattern of um, relationship that you were talking about and kind of the purpose, you know, (laughs) behind why the heck it matters to, to tune into the Lord's voice and to, you know, be aware of what God wants for us. Um, But then we also see in a really beautiful chunk of the Bible where Jesus is walking this earth as a human being, developing friendships with people, developing relationships with people doing exactly that, being relational, you know, having just really healthy friendships and and ones where he, you know, desires better for them. Like we got to see a physical version of what we currently get to experience, you know, with God the Father. So And, and he is God. Yes. Right. And so we get to see God in action. Yes. By doing that. And this is what all eternity is going to be like of that relational aspect of it. Yeah. So so just to make sure I'm understanding Biblical worldview is distinguished from general, maybe humanistic, secular worldview in that it's relational, but that it's embedded within a narrative. Mm -hmm. So creation, fall, redemption, restoration, which is pretty radically different than what the world would tell you, you know, because the world tells you, uh, you you orient yourself to the world on nothing, on no other basis than than yourself. Um, How do you how do you relate to X or Y thing? so, which begs the question, like, that's a pretty radical shift. 
um, the students who are coming to Liberty University, regardless of whether they come from a, a church or an unchurched background, are embedded in a society that tells them a very different story. Yeah. So um, how does this happen? Like, how, how do you take people uh, from, you know, what the world, what's the story the world tells you about worldview into biblical worldview territory? Well, and I would like to say for a second to also break down kind of what I think you said. We got man-centric with worldview. Yeah. Our launching pad is mm -hmm. us, and then we go out. And then biblical was God-centric, and it was what does he want? You know, what is um, what are the values that he has for you know for me to hold on to and, and then I go out into the world um, with my views or you know my values and that kind of thing and so that almost self-absorbed you know and, and I don't say that insultingly but it's just kind of the, our natural state is that self-absorbed state so it's not Gen Z or those pe you know those college students or they're just kids it's really a like human it is all people apart it's from all Christ. people go apart no. from Christ and then also naturally kind of that teenager into adulthood stage of life, it can become a self-absorbed stage of life, you know? Um, so that that kind of perspective into that biblical perspective. But but it's it's not old. No. I mean, it's not, it's not, not new, new. Mm -hmm. okay? It's old because we see that in the story of Scripture in, in Genesis 2 and 3, specifically in Genesis 3, where the, the temptation to Eve is... Don't you want to be in control of your own life? Basically, what Satan through the serpent is saying is that you can choose. God's hiding something from you. He doesn't have your best interests at heart. You, you're the only one that knows what's good for you. And so the self-absorption or this self-centeredness is part of the fall. And we address that from a biblical worldview. But we see that she found it pleasing to her eyes. And she took and she ate. And God even says in the end of chapter 3 of Genesis, he says, we have to take them out of the garden because now they know. They're like us. They know the difference between good and evil. Now they're going to struggle with this the rest of their life. They, they're they going to struggle with the idea that I'm God and I'm going to control my own life. I like what Dr. Costin said in, in this first convo. He said, um, there is a God and you aren't him. <laughs> and that's the struggle we face. Yes. How, when we get up in the morning, what's our first thought? It's about us. Yeah. Is it about God? It should be about God. Nietzsche said it. He said that's what his problem was, that God is dead. That, that's what, that was his issue because he said, I look everywhere around and I see these people and they don't live like a God is alive. Mm. So God has to be dead. Because they're living for themselves. They're doing what they want to do. The first thought you you had this morning, I tell my students, the first thought you had in the morning when you woke up, was it about you? Or was it about God? Thank you for the breath that you gave me to breathe. I'm so thankful I get to serve you today. It's a shamingly long before a God thought really hits. It is, <laughs> like, isn't it? Yes. Isn't it amazing how the first thought is not about him? Mm -hmm. Well, I got to find my phone and I got to see what my email says. Mm -hmm. Or the alarm goes off and the first thing I see is I had a, a text from somebody that I forgot to answer. And mm -hmm. We're self-absorbed with doing what we want to do. And I'm just as guilty as anyone, okay? But it, it's it's the human the human sin nature that was create that was developed in the very beginning of I want to be God of my own life. And that goes in the face of a biblical worldview because God says you can't be. Right. Yeah. I'm the authority. Right. 
and I love you dearly, and I know what's best for you. I just, we, we deal with certain issues in our class, and I just talked to the students about one hot topic issue, and I said, I said, here's the issue that we need to deal with. It says, as a dad, I tell my students, I tell my, I tell my kids the truth, and they can either accept or reject what I tell them as the truth, but it's still the truth. And and that most be, it might be the most loving thing I can do to them mm. is to tell them the truth. That's God. God's, God tells us the truth, and it's the most loving thing he can do for us. And we may not like it, but it's the truth. And that, that that's what God says. It comes out of that biblical worldview, right? That idea of he's in charge. Mm. He's the authority. And now I have to surrender my authority to his authority. Mm. And that's where the difference between a biblical worldview and a secular humanistic worldview is that I'm in charge of everything, so I need to please myself, delay my gratification. I, I, or I don't want to delay my gratification. Self-gratification is I'm going pleasures, whether it's sex or whether it's food or whether it's whatever it is, whether it's music, whether it's always having my Apple Buds in, what, whatever it is, I'm always going to try to satisfy myself. Yeah, yeah. First. And, First. And then I'll meet whatever I feel like meeting right. needs wise. Well that because it's yeah. gotta pleasure me. Yes. Right. It's kinda that like um you know, that's why why do you want like a, an inner peace kind of question or, or I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but like um the Prince of Peace, when that is our launching pad, that peace gets to that he gives us gets to surpass all understanding because there can be full chaos and we are, you know, experiencing peace. Versus when we're starting with me, everything we're doing is, you know, anything that we're cutting out of our lives is, well, that's causing a lack of peace, you know, that's causing the chaos or whatever. And it's, it, it can be incredibly self-centered, you know, because you're going, um, boundaries, yes, are inc- incredibly healthy. Um, that person in your life that's inconvenient is not needing a boundary. You just kind of care more about your peace than you do about them. You know, that kind of difference of, don't harm my peace versus well i'm i'm standing very firmly and he who gives that peace and then you know i I go from there yeah so if biblical worldview is ultimately a matter of shifting uh your orientation to the world such that you orient yourself to the world in light of what god has said uh firstly is true about himself and then secondly is true about us uh you go from from what the world says you know orient yourself to the world entirely on on the basis of yourself to that like i wonder uh rob if like over the course of the time that you've taught this to students um if you've noticed any shifts so to your point earlier i totally agree i don't think any of this is new that you see this as early as genesis 3 um however i I wonder if like you know social media or um any any newer technologies like James K. A. Smith, you may be familiar with, with some of his work, has talked about cultural liturgies and how the modern uh, the the modern individual in in the West, um, from the time they're born till the time they die, is just assaulted constantly with these liturgies that tell you and, and a liturgy is just basically a story, mm-hmm. right? Um, about how you ought to live in the world and and uh, we're constantly being assaulted by things that are formative. They shape us at the level of our hearts and minds. Um, things like social media. Uh, what are maybe some challenges that face current students in terms of developing a biblical worldview now that maybe uh, maybe played out a little bit differently maybe when you first started teaching? 
Yeah, I, I would go, I would still say that's old. Mm-hmm. I would go back to Genesis 6. And the world was so evil that God had to destroy it with a flood. Mm. <laughs> and were they involved in social media? Probably not, okay? <laughs> but there was evil. Sure. And, and as we look at today, we see social media is a tool that can be used for good or can be used for evil. There's just that aspect of it. But I see it, the the, the problem is you can be more self-absorbed. I, I tell my students that self has become the god of this world view, become the god of this world. And I said the prime example of it is a selfie. Mm-hmm. And I pull up my phone and I said, I got to document everything I do. Mm-hmm. And everything is so vitally important that I have to die. See what I ate today? Look who I'm with today. Look where I went today. I'm documenting all my life. And when I posted on Instagram or when I posted on X or when I posted on Facebook, what am I documenting? I'm documenting my life. What if we started from that framework of a biblical worldview and says, I'm going to go for others first. Mm-hmm. Instead of a selfie, and others is selfie. I don't know how you say. It. I don't know how do you say it. And others be <laughs> exactly. But I don't know how you do, how you say that in a way that the, my first thought is about others. Hmm. And so social media is is self absorbed. I I see that in in all teaching. I mean, when I started in two thousand six, there wasn't social media like there is today. Right. But it's still the same thing. It's yeah. all about me. Right. And. That shift needs to take place if we're going to embrace a biblical worldview that my first thought is not about me. My first intention is not to document me, hmm. but it's to document how God's working or how others are being influenced by God, how God is working in my life. And I think that's how we have to transform or redeem or think Christianly about social media. Uh, that Because that, it affects, I mean, it's part of all our lives. Yeah. Um, hmm. You have classes, entire semesters worth, where you get to talk about what we're talking about right now. And I'm assuming first few classes, you're kind of doing what you're doing right now, where you're setting the stage, you're doing a very like bird's eye view, and then you can get into the nitty gritty. You even reference like um, controversial stuff. So either day of, you know, controversial stuff, or just kind of within the last few years, um, that kind of thing. But for a listener who either might not have you or um, even is just a college student in general, not a Liberty University student, they don't get to have you for a semester. They don't get to have a class for a semester where, or two semesters where they get to really dive in and explore um, that kind of thing. So where would you tell somebody who's not sitting in that classroom setting, who is kind of doing this on their own, developing this on their own, where would you kind of advise them to start? And I can assume the Bible is going to be you know, an answer, Um, And that is great. I'm kind of thinking like that practical, you know, what um, questions could they start with asking? What um, types of things can they be looking for throughout the Bible as they are developing those values that you've referenced, you know, that kind of thing? What would be some first steps that you would advise? Yeah, I think, um, and this is not original to me, but um, I require students to read a book called Think Christianly by Jonathan Morrow. And in there, he talks about cultivate. The first step is cultivating a well-trained mind, being a critical thinker to evaluate the world around you and then make value judgments based upon that thinking. And that framework of a biblical worldview is going to guide that thinking. It's going to guide how you're going to make decisions. And so I think the, and the first step he gets in there, he, he states in there in, in 
cultivating a well-trained mind is to read good books. You have to you have to be able to find books. The Bible's one is the book that you read, but also books like his book. But he t- he highlights the idea of Nancy Percy, Total Truth, mm-hmm. is the book that he highlights as a way to develop the aspect of that. One of the books, she, I mean, she just spoke in Convo here at Liberty University, um, and I, I think the students looked at her differently. I mean, I'm looking at it from a professor teaching. 10,000 students and I'm going oh Nancy 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 but 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 I but it's that idea of if she was one-on-one and you're reading her books her books are phenomenal so she just has a book called Love Thy Body that came out that is amazing for talking about the issues of today um, but those help create or cultivate a well-trained mind those book, books like that I think are important but there has to be then accountability and accountability with somebody that you're close to that you can trust maybe older that's why the church is important that's why you need to be involved in a church where there can be an older person that says come on let's go have lunch or come over I, I, I this hasn't developed at our church that I attend but I, I've always wanted to have a grandparents ministry mm-hmm. where grandparents would adopt a college student and, every, and and one Sunday a month they would take them they would take them out to lunch or they would take bring them over for lunch and what are they doing they're pouring into that student's life and all they're doing is they're loving on them they're building relationships right they're building a relationship and that's the body of Christ actively working so you got to have accountability so so what are you reading good things are you avoiding social media that you should avoid you know are in asking those questions in the accountability and then I think the third thing he and this is Morrow, he he talks about engaging. You just have to engage and and that comes out of accountability. And and you don't do it alone. You do it with the body of Christ. That's good. I'm curious, uh, given what you just said about local church involvement and the way that helps to facilitate uh some of what we've been talking about. Um I'm not gonna sidebar on, on this too much, but um uh, there's some interesting research that's coming out of Baylor, out of some of their higher ed folks there, um, that we're actually bringing those guys on to do. I don't know if this episode or that episode will drop first, but um, I forget off the top of my head right now. But um, basically what they're doing is they're surveying their students uh, once in their freshman year, once in their senior year. They're basically trying to determine, and they're interviewing them as well, uh, how is faith formation facilitated in the college years? Some of that's going to be biblical worldview development. Um, one of their findings that they presented at a conference I attended over the summer uh, is that, by and large, it appears that a lot of that takes place within the local church, and not necessarily. Even though many of the spiritual development things that take place on college campuses are great, and we wouldn't we wouldn't push them away by any stretch of the imagination, it seems that a lot of that's taking place in the local church. Like as somebody who teaches biblical worldview and thinks about these things a lot. Why is it that you think that that that's the case for college students? Like, why is it that you know Christian college students who have the world available to them in terms of access to Christian uh, scholars, professors, uh, programs, chapels, all kinds of things, convocation in our case? Why is it that it, a lot of that's still happening in the context of the of the body of Christ? Yeah, I, I think it's God's design, right? I mean, the church is His. It's his tool. It's the way he intended it for to take it for intended it to happen. Um, even how radical it may be, or how different it may be for the when the world looks at it. 
but I think uh, you can't get away from what Paul says that this is a body and everybody has to function together and the body doesn't function together unless it's there and so when they're when a student finds a local body they may be the big toe but man I'm, I'm so good at a big toe in this body mm-hmm. and I'm so valuable for it because I keep balance in this body you know or I'm yeah. I'm the yeah. I'm, I'm the, the wrist I, I, I've decided you're the, the you got to be the wrist yeah. <laughs> you got to be the wrist I thought maybe the hand because you yeah. would slap people well, just because you you're a pain anyway so you that action you know that action that wrist action but it really comes down to that idea of of Everyone, and, and I come back to relationship, everyone likes to feel wanted and a part of something. And when a Christian student or a student that finds a body, a local body, and they become active in that local body, like my church on Sunday morning, I serve in the parking lot. I wear Mickey Mouse ears and Mickey Mouse hands as I serve in the parking lot. I get to see the first people that come in there and take them into the into the there's sometimes they're my college students that come through there and they look and I thought, yep, this <laughs> is me. Yep. But what am I doing? I'm I'm trying to sort of I'm trying to say that I'm part of the body like I've been asked, you should teach it a class. I said, I don't want to. I, I want I want to be the little toe. <laughs> and, and I want to invite these people in. I want them to feel welcome the first time they step on this campus, that they step on this church, and I want to feel welcome, and then I'm going to connect them with somebody so that they begin a relationship with. I said, that's what I did in this same church in 1981. I, I came here, and somebody welcomed me, and they put their arms around me and said, we're so happy you're here today. Hmm. And and now I want that. To, so it really is that idea of body, and and once you feel like you're, part of something you're it's just going to be it's it's going to be so enjoyable enjoyable is probably not a strong enough word it's going to be embracing and overwhelming in your life that i got to have this so when you leave a place like a college institution you i gotta be a part of that Hmm. i gotta have that i got like a hole you know yeah missing yeah Mm -hmm. i've I've gotta i've gotta i've gotta be the knee to this church you know i've gotta be the body part it should be be like being a fish out of water yes for christians yes yeah that's good yeah i do i do often tell students um when the opportunity presents itself that i love christian colleges i work at one clearly i'm bought in (laughs) uh but you know in, in Matthew 28, Jesus doesn't say, go therefore and make Christian colleges in all nations. You know, he institutes disciples, go, go and make disciples, which make churches. And, right? and that's been the emphasis in the last year I see on, in our institution is the, the focus on church. You need to find mm-hmm. a local church. Yeah. You need to find a place where you can invest, where they can love on you, you can love on them, and you can serve in relationship with each other. Mm. I like that. I think that's... The intent Dr. Falwell in the beginning of the institution desired to have, and well, he's an incre- he was an incredibly relational person. Yes, so that checks out. Yes, um, to kind of go back to like you know that professor to student perspective, um, what are some questions that you like to throw out to students to either challenge their thinking um, or just things to for them to consider, you know, um, as they're developing their biblical worldview. Um, and I'm kind of thinking in the context of maybe they say something that sounds very regurgitated. You know, it's it, it sounds very, you've been told that your whole life and you have never had to think about that one. Um, or even just if they don't know and you're going, okay, well, go home and think about X, Y, and Z, you know, type of thing. What are some things that you like to just kind of throw out to students to 
either keep them on their toes or challenge what they're thinking. Well, I, when I tell the, I tell the biblical worldview story, I tell, tell it from the framework of creation, fall, redemption. And in there, as I'm, as I'm going through there, I'm saying, um, you know, God created man in his image and his likeness. He created them male and female in his likeness. And, and then it's in chapter 2, it talks about that he formed him out of the dust of the earth and then he placed them on there. And then at the end of chapter 2, he says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. And I go, Adam's saying, what's a father and mother? I don't even have a belly button. <laughs> you know, so and I, write, I just put those things out there and they go, what did you just say? <laughs> you know, type of thing. Yeah, so you're putting yeah. those things out there. They go, and so you bring sort of that evolutionary stuff in there or into into the conversation. So it gets them thinking along the way. Oh yeah, did he have a belly button or didn't he have a belly? Did he have a mother and father? He didn't have a mother and father. You know, so you bring those things into there, and it's the issue of even like when we're talking about um, contemporary issues, like we just discussed gender identity and gender issues from a biblical worldview standpoint. And the idea of tell me from an evolutionary process where a male became a male and a female became a female and they found each other and they physiologically were exact where they could reproduce another person. Tell me, where does evolution address that? Because I want them to understand from a contrary worldview how they do that. I said, where, where is that in a, in a biblical? Well, they, this and this and this. I said, what have you learned? Where have you learned? And, and I said, and most students say, I've never learned where a male became a male and a female became a female and in the billions of years that they could reproduce. I said, but think about this. God said, I created them male and female. Mic drop, boom. Done. Done. Mm -hmm. It's there. So you get them thinking along that way and then they, then I, I tell them, I don't want you to believe everything I tell you, but but you better come back to me with evidence. Mm. You better say to me, Vanning, I don't believe you. You can't just come up to me and say, Vanning, I don't believe the word you said fine. You don't have to believe anything I tell you, but you better have evidence to show that I am wrong. Mm -hmm. And if I am, I'll admit it. Mm -hmm. But you better you better do your research. Mm. What is the balance that you, this is like kind of a little bit of a side. Don't go side, don't, don't go off those. I'll do what I want. Um, <laughs> oh, 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 oh is, that, that's, a, that's, that's not a biblical worldview, is that's it? That's my value no, system. No, no, that's, um, that's, that's not a biblical worldview. I think she's orienting herself to this conversation through what she wants. And I, <laughs> my podcast, baby. <laughs> 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 oh, Scott doesn't, doesn't exist anymore. I object. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the best thing is I'm not just the co-host, but I'm the producer. <laughs> So, so you get to edit things. Say, so, uh, say, we'll see. <laughs> Ostensibly, Sophie could edit me out entirely. <laughs> and then so, it really is her podcast. It really is. So that would be so funny if it was just <laughs> me and Ben Hagen. Um, My aside is kind of like you talked in the beginning about biblical worldview and those values, and you hold tight to them. But at the same time, opinions now, yeah, but, but Yeah, but you hold tight to them. You want to embrace them. But we consistently don't live those out. There is none righteous, no, not one. And we yeah. consistently live in a fallen state where we have to confess our sins yeah. and he's faithful and just to forgive yeah. us. So hmm. the, it, even in the midst of that, that's part of a biblical worldview. I have to I have to repent and confess that I'm not God. Right. And I have to do that on a regular basis because I want to be God in my life. Mm -hmm. And I want to control my own life. I want to control my own podcast. Mm -hmm. mm. I want to. <laughs> oh, I just said that, didn't I? Uh, you, <laughs> that idea. That idea of I've taken over this podcast. Watch out now. <laughs> this is Van Engen's podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> We're 
world. We're just living in it. <laughs> and so, so it really is that idea of I have to, I have to reorient my life on God again, and and I think the. And I, I challenge students on this, on the that God, God designed order and structure. Six day, one day is a priority. That one day is the most important day of all days. It's the first day man existed fully on the earth. And God says, I want to be with you. I'm creating rhythm and structure for your day. This day is the most important day for you. And it's spending time with me. Yeah. It's reorienting my life on it. But, but more important, it's a daily thing. Evening, morning, day one. Evening, morning, day two. Evening, morning, day three. All the way up to day six. He's doing evening, morning. He wants many Shabbats every day. He wants us to reorient our lives. He wants order and structure every day of our lives. So I tell the students, I said, think about this. That when you, like God is working all through the night to plan your next day. And if you're living a biblical worldview, fully functioning biblical worldview, and thinking about God and what he wants, think about the adventure of the next day. That he's written into your daytime or while you're sleeping, evening, morning, day one, while you're Shabbating, evening, morning, day one, he's writing your daytimer, and you get to wake up into his world. Mm-hmm. And now you're being led by the Holy Spirit, and you get to go, what's happening today that he's planned for me? What an adventure life is now. Mm-hmm. That people I come in contact are not accidents. Well, and then it kind of mm-hmm. goes back to mm-hmm. that, like, it's not about what's happening to me. But it's about the world I get to go out into and make whatever impact the Lord has decided I'm making today. Yeah. You know, big, small, one I can see, one I can't see, um, one I get to see later, one I get to see never, you know, yeah. whatever happens. Um, yeah, it, it does make that really exciting. And I call that, I mean, I don't, I, I get it from Eugene Peterson who wrote in Working the Angles. He calls them divine appointments. And we've heard that mm-hmm. consistently every now and then. But that divine appointment that when you think up and you wake up in the morning going, uh, God, I want you to lead me today in everything that I do, and I want to meet as many de- appointments as I can. And I tell them it may be as simple as putting a smile on a person's face that you just crossed. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Hope you have a great day. Hmm. Could be, a, but if I five seconds l- earlier, ten seconds later, you would have missed that person. Hmm. It's not accidental that you came across this person. Right. This person is the ordered. Spiritual meet you. Exactly. <laughs> Oh boy. Back to your podcast again. <laughs> I see how it goes. Okay, I'll sh- I'll shut up here and What's let you be continue. My podcast. What's <laughs> oh my gosh. No, this is so good. I I just want to take like a second and acknowledge that like what a student is experiencing is a lot of change. I think in their worldview, and then hopefully that worldview is transitioning to you know that biblical worldview, um, and whatever you know, they have now, they're able to either kind of shed or be able to look at it critically, you know, to be able to go, okay, this is, now I can back it up. Or, shoot, I never could back that up because that is not, you know, biblically based. How is a student, um, or what are are some challenges you're seeing students face as they're kind of going through this almost awakening of like, oh, I don't know what I'm talking about. Or, um, that makes me really uncomfortable. You know, I'm thinking through like, um, what you said about truth and even um, how to like talk to somebody about their sins, holding someone accountable, that kind of thing. What are some challenges you're seeing students experience as they are developing their biblical worldview and what's making them uncomfortable? Well, I th- the, the biggest challenge, and I teach honor students, the, the biggest challenge is the works versus the spirit guided. 
because I, I challenge an honor student. They say, you've done this all your life, and you know you can do it, and you've worked hard to get to where you are. But have you thought about the Spirit guiding you and directing you each aspect of that way? Or have you just thought, God, sit back, watch me do this. I'm pretty good at this. I'm talented. I've got the brains, and watch me do it. And so you challenge them with that idea of God dependence, even in the midst of my effort, my discipline in the work that I put in. Hmm. Is it God first? Does he direct? And, 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 and I see lights come on in the midst of it because I know honor students. My daughter and my son were both honor students. I see that idea of, yeah, I've worked all my life to get where I am, and I'm a merit scholar, and I've got my, my SAT scores are off the, and I've worked. Mm. Is God pleased? Mm. And so that challenge in their thinking, they just go, I haven't given, I haven't even given that to him. Mm. That's it's just all me. Mm-hmm. If you take it back even a step far, farther, like, yeah, if they're, if they're in Christ, they're spirit led, but then like, even just biologically speaking, who gave them that brain? Who created that brain? Exactly. You know, uh, who created that personality? You know. Um, and who placed them with the parents? Who cared to keep them on their studies and who and who talked to the teachers and you know like oh but it's all, all accidental little, though yeah. it all it's yeah. all accidental yeah, yeah. but that is a really good yeah. for a yeah. student maybe who is raised in a good biblical home mm-hmm. that actually I think is really great like kind of pumping those brakes and saying you know the truth here take a look around and see how little you actually played a part mm-hmm. in where you are right now it's good and I won't you know. Where my brain went when Sophie asked that question was to this, you know, this sort of trend of deconstruction, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, I didn't want to say the word. <laughs> right. Oh, Sophie was, now it's my podcast. <laughs> you can take it. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll take this one. Well, I, I, I think, you know, the deconstruction gets a lot of attention now. Um, but I've always thought, you know, there, there's a sort of natural process of deconstruction that most Christians go through at some point in their lives. But but what matters is whether or not, you know, whoever is whoever is guiding them as they as they deconstruct, so to speak, um, are they are they faithful and are they are they uh, do they care genuinely about the soul of of or you know are they are they just desiring to see like am I just going to drop a, a bomb into their thinking? Um, and then just sit back and, and kind of watch that play out. So, Rob, whenever you whenever you do that, whenever you do drop some bombs into their thinking, like, what is it that you do on the back end of that to help them reform? Because, like, we're talking about, you know, the formation of a biblical mm-hmm. worldview. Um, there's a lot of that going around where it's just like, let me just blow up your thinking and then sit back and watch you kind of, you know, squirm your way through it. Um, how do you care for students on the other side of that? Yeah, I, I think... I think it comes back to what you said is relationships mm-hmm. and the students who are struggling with that know that they can come to me and most of them do they they say if there's an issue with that they they'll come and they'll talk that through said so, you know either make an appointment or after class they'll come up but uh, I think when we talk about deconstructionism I think one of the main issues was that they really didn't have a relationship to begin with mm of somebody who could help them grow in their faith mm-hmm. and develop that faith to a point where they can actually live it out. And so uh, they, they, they're they going to find that relationship somewhere. And you, 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 you described it perfectly that 
they don't have somebody in their life or the person in their life is not helping them grow in their faith. Mm. And that's usually the case. It's really a relationship again, right? And so there needs to be that relationship that leads to an idea. And I, I challenge them over and over again then, I'm not your church. Mm. You need to find a church. You need to find a place to invest in that you can that that God's story can be evident in your life, and you share it with that body of believers. Hmm. And so it has to go back to that being involved. And I dare say most people that deconstructed their faith were not involved in a local church. Yeah, were didn't have anybody to hold them accountable. Hmm. Were not thinkers. They didn't read critical thinking books. They may say they did. Oh, yeah, I did. You didn't read good books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you read books that were leading you towards deconstruction. Mm-hmm. You need to read books that challenge your thinking, but develop that thinking as well. Yeah. And so they didn't have the accountability. They didn't have the engagement with the local church mm-hmm. as well as reading through. And Amen. I would say, too, sorry, on that note, to acknowledge that the unfortunate, as- the, the unfortunate truth is that sometimes people don't have that because of hurt. Mm-hmm. And just to give a like second to encourage that, yes, your maybe church hurt is incredibly valid. I've had insane church hurt. I'm sure the two of you have, have experienced just frustrating, hurtful, whatever, you know, stuff in the, in the church. Um, that is not every church. And the beauty of it is if you have faith in the Lord, that that is something that matters to him, that that is something that can be redeemed. Um, and so while you're on this journey, journey you know of like figuring out and maybe that deconstruction somebody calls it disentanglement um and i like that a little bit you know kind of taking out (laughs) some of those ribbons of garbage (laughs) you're just like where did that come from um and doing that with a really um trustworthy person that trustworthy person you might not currently have but they are out there um and unfortunately not having that probably like some, some people might be listening and going, yeah, but you don't know. <laughs> like you don't know the pain that I just experienced. And yes, we do. And it's really unfortunate. And we're so sorry for that. I just wanted to encourage that like this does matter to the Lord. For you to have a trustworthy person in your life to grapple with these questions does matter to the Lord. So, you know, stay faithful to his faithfulness, you know, to who but he is. Not necessarily a trustworthy person, which is va- valid and vital for you to grow in your faith. But I think we talk about what a healthy church looks like. You need to find a church where people have been there for a long time. Yeah. You you like if the church I go to is multi generational. I I was the youth pastor there, and now my former students are parents of teenagers that attend this church. But their parents, the parents when they were teen, they're still attending this church. And I have and so I'm like, why are all these people still attending this church? Yeah. Because this is their home. Mm-hmm. This is where they have relationship. And so you're looking for a healthy place to live that out with accountability from a person, but you're also looking for churches that are, people are there for, the past, like I served two churches. I served one place for 10 years and I served another for 14. You want to find churches that have pastors that have been there for a long time. Yeah. Hmm. Why not? Yeah. (laughs) Because they're not really the role that you want to be like, High turnover. <laughs> right, right, right. But the, but then the, you know they're committed to this yeah. body, and they're, they're committed to what relationships? Yeah. Mm. Because if you're there for a long period of time, you're going to build relationships, and you're yeah. going to be known. Well, and and you're going to hurt pe- people. Mm. Are going to hurt these relationships, and you've overcome those hurt those relationships, mm-hmm. and you've learned how to do that, and they're still there. The people are still there. Yeah. 
Mm. And so you have to do it. You have to, it, there have, like you have to challenge pastors, youth pastors. It's not every two years you're turning over. You have to be committed for the long haul. Yep. And um, I, have, I have students that, from the ministries, and I call them my legacy, that they're, they're, they've contacted me back and they just said, man, I can remember that time that we just sat and talked, or mm-hmm. I can remember that time where we learned from Scripture this. Yeah. And that's 25 years of, 26 years of ministry mm-hmm. that is so valuable because it's relationships. Yeah. And that's where those questions get to be asked. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a huge chunk of my development, and Scott, you can kind of talk about yours, of like my biblical worldview, has been studying the Scriptures, having a very solid foundation. But you can't that. do that apart from the church, though. I'm you challenging can. you. Absolutely. That has to be addressed. Absolutely. Yeah. And some of that development of that foundation has been from a sermon. Mm-hmm. Some of that has been a um, like community group that I was in where somebody, I don't know, mentioned a random thing, and my brain was like, hmm, you know? And it was a verse that just the way it tied in and the context, and it was just what the Lord wanted me to hear and the Holy Spirit's interpretation, you know, within me and all all that kind of stuff. And other times it has been somebody going through a really hard time and just crying. And I'm like, that's, yeah, (laughs) you know, we're having that relationship. Um, But yeah, just the importance of going, hey, like I I need a place where I can say out loud this thing. I was in a a women's group at my church and um, somebody was saying, I'm trying to decide on like taking this job and moving. And it's really scary to move. And she was like going back and forth, back and forth. And then I started crying. <laughs> and I said, I'm grappling with why am I still here? And I was just going through a really hard time with that. And I was like, is God still faithful when he's, when it feels like he's not answering your, you know, your prayers, your questions, whatever. And this um, older woman in that group, like stayed with me for about 20 minutes afterwards. And we just talked it through. Um, and I walked away having somebody who, kind of let me ask those like does God even care about me you know questions they're a little scary um make you feel like a bad person almost you know whatever but it, it just was a, a really safe place to do that and also be pushed back to God you know in, at mm-hmm. the same time um and so all of those things play just a huge role and so yes that like getting being um, plugged into the local church has allowed for that biblical perspective and that biblical worldview um to just grow strengthen um, be something that I can be pretty firm in and of course sometimes get knocked around a little bit but um, still have the ability to go back and say out loud wait a minute now I'm struggling with this can somebody help me you know figure this one out mm-hmm. yeah I, I'm, I'm reminded as um, as you've been talking Rob um, about the importance of y- when Sophie said you know studying the word of God and you said yes but it's but you can't do that outside the context of a, of a good local church um, the, um, the undergraduate historian in me is reminded that we live, in, I mean, the truth is we, we live in, uh, nothing's new under the sun, but we live in um, a, a kind of novel time historically in terms of church history where everybody has access to the scriptures um, on their phone, uh, in, you know, in a book that they carry around, whereas in, through most of church history, uh, access to the word of God was a communal exercise. Mm. Um, you know, you, you gathered at the synagogue to hear the word of God. Um, you gathered in your local church to hear the word of God expounded. Um, and and re- it's really only within the last few hundred years that we have access to the word of God apart from the, the gathering of God's people under the authority of somebody who can teach the scriptures. Um, and so I think about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, the Ethiopian eunuch's reading the scroll of Isaiah 
He says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I understand unless somebody explains it to me? I think we've lost that, you know. Um, I think each of us, and, and there's truth to this too, like each of us approaches God um, as individuals, but we also approach God communally as a people. Um, and I think we live in a time, in a, in a society that, that maybe only exacerbates that thinking, that like, you know, I can, I can make of God's word whatever I want. Um, I'm an individual person with individual, the, the abilities of reason, all those faculties, and so I can, I can do what I want. Um, but to your question, therefore, Sophie, a secular humanistic worldview, I right. can do what I want. Right. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, about how my biblical worldview developed, it, it did develop communally. Um, mm. Sounds like it did for you as well, Sophie. Um, Rob, maybe for you as well. You certainly teach that. Vanagan's <laughs> uh, like. By myself. <laughs> it's all by, by myself. myself. Everybody else Nobody else. Community. Nobody else. <laughs> took a monastic approach to, to worldview development. Um, but yeah, just, you know, uh, faithful men just shepherding mm-hmm. me, um, helping me understand things that um, I grew up in a, in a very different tradition than the one that I, that I, uh, that I enjoy now um, in terms of, of local church. Um, so there were faithful men who just walked with me and helped me understand some things. Helped me understand, honestly, helped me understand the gospel. Um, and um, and I could, that couldn't have happened on my own in my room, you know, with the door closed. Uh, I'm so thankful that God uses those means of relationship. You know, can God can God save people individually in their rooms with the door closed? Absolutely, He can. Um, but does He? Is that His common way of doing things? I think probably not. I think, you know, we see in Romans 10, like, you know, um, we, we can't believe unless the, the word of God is preached. And that's a that's a um, communal exercise. So it's good. And I would even say, like, the, with my doors closed, you know, my, in my room thing, you might be on a dorm, like, listener, you might be in a, in a dorm um, with a couple of roommates, whole, you know, maybe 70 to 100 dang 50 people, you know, whatever. Um, kind of thinking well but almost every night I have these really deep conversations with my friends I remember that I remember being a student and having that and that is not something that I'm going to diss I'm not even I'm not going to say stop doing that I'm not going to say you know yeah but it's more of a and Mm -hmm. you know if if that is all you have you have a bunch of people who are very likely like-minded um sitting there talking to you about something that their perspective is exactly the same as yours or, or a couple of degrees off you know um, and I might go to my church and be talking to an individual who is 70. I'm 30, you know, so a 40 year gap. And they're able to look at me and not in a dismissive way, but the thing I'm stressing about, give me a perspective of, oh, honey, it will be okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that moment, I am so sorry, but my fellow at 19, my fellow 19 year old friends were about to like pass out from their own stress, you know, so like they could not help me figure that out, let alone you know, really being able to have just a different perspective um, on those biblical worldview, you know, points, the the value system, especially with how controversial things are right now. I think it's easy to kind of get um, wrapped up in the uh, topic and lose sight of that the biblical lens, you know, mm-hmm. that we're supposed to have and the how people feel versus what Christ has called us to do. So not a replacement. It's an and. But, it, but that cannot be a replacement for the church. It cannot be a replacement for the small group. It cannot be a replacement for the mentor, you know, who's a little bit older, who um, can help you kind of shift that perspective from the here and now and the right today to a little bit more bird's eye view and, and just kind of maybe how God's 
wanting us to look at things. But there's there's activities that the, only the church can do that you can't do in the dorm room. Mm-hmm. There's baptism where we celebrate yeah. new life, mm-hmm. right? There's communion where we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. You have to do those in community. Those are vital. You can't do it in your dorm room. You can't do it with your friends. Um, it has to be done in the local church. And that's how you build community. I saw you up there. You were baptized. You said you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Wait, why did you do that? Mm. Now I'm living. I also in follow com- you on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now I'm living in community. Yeah. And I'm seeing these things. Yeah. Hey, wait. We took the Lord's Supper together. That's awesome. Wait, why are you doing living your life that way? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now in that we have that accountability even in that in that group through the symbols that God gave us through baptism and communion. That can't be done outside yeah. of yeah. the church. I mean, honestly, I was going into this episode assuming it was going to be probably more on the practical side, you know, as far as like what's the definition and what questions can we ask and, you know, those types of things. And I love that just seamlessly it kind of slid very solidly into please get plugged into the local church mm-hmm. with obviously the you know the main topic being so that that biblical worldview can be developed in a healthy way um to kind of just wrap things up what types of questions would you advise a student ask a church leader so that they can get a really good idea of what that church leader's biblical worldview is so that they can kind of gauge whether it's a healthy one unhealthy obviously people can say whatever the heck sounds good you know to, to make us feel good um, as a potential member or something but just some things that they can ask to kind of get an idea of you know what that pastor believes what the church you know believes in general um, as they are trying to find a good healthy church yeah and I, d- I don't think it's necessarily asking questions I think you can observe right okay. does the pastor open the Bible does he read from scripture does he exegete the, the word of God does he tell us what the word of God says so there's that activity that's part that that must take part but like i said earlier is how long has he been there how long have the members been there um and, and you're basically looking at it from can i participate in a body here can i be active in the body here so that i don't think it's really i mean you're asking the questions in your own mind i think of those things as you're observing the church itself the surrounding um, is this my type of worship? Is this type my type of praise music that I want? To, those can I mean because we've become sort of the consumer in, in the church marketing world, you know, that we have to analyze. But those are those preferences still are a part of finding a church or growing in our faith or living out a biblical worldview. We have preferences, you know. Different denominations were formed based upon those preferences. So um, I think it's basically an an observation you make. Yeah. You go in. And I, I, but I, but don't do it like one time. Mm. You have to, you have to invest in it. Maybe I would say three to six months. Invest in it and and learn. You know, has anybody learned your name? Has anybody, you know, has it, have you developed a friendship or have you somebody gone with you in in the that aspect of it of to participate in church with you? So, mm. I think it's just more of an observation than it is to ask questions. Uh, from the pastor. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Paul says in the New Testament, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Mm-hmm. The the inference being, in as much as I imitate Christ. And if I and if, if I don't anywhere, 
don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and Paul's Paul, uh, the preeminent apostle of the New Testament. Yeah. Most of the New Testament can say such a thing. I think that's a that's a solid way to to evaluate our modern day pastors right. who mm-hmm. who are not responsible for any page of scripture. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. good. Well, Doctor Van Engen. The good doctor. The good pain. Doctor. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say it. Um, thank you so much for coming. This was really great. There's a reason I remember several of the uh, lessons that you taught. Um, one being where you climbed on people's desks and literally threw their books. But never, never. You ought See, not. We don't even, that didn't happen. We don't even we don't even teach relativism anymore, yeah. even though relativism is so fundamental in our society today. Mm-hmm. But it was it was an illustration on I can do whatever I want yeah. to. There's no rules that yeah. apply, and I just started climbing on desks and mm-hmm. stealing people's stuff. I took their glasses. I took a shirt off a guy <laughs> in the middle of of the classroom one time too, and it's like who's telling me I can't do what I want to do? And the students are going, I get it. Yeah sanity well, I wonder, uh. <laughs> oh this could take us down a whole other rabbit trail uh. but i wonder if like now the issue is more like there's a cultural orthodoxy now mm. the culture actually does say does give you lots of things you must do mm-hmm. rather than eh, you can do whatever you mm. want mm-hmm. you know yeah uh, yeah that really could take us on a rabbit trail could. Um, Well, once again, thank you so much for coming. This is really great. Uh, We have an entire series that we're doing on uh, this topic and just, well, the topic of getting plugged into a local church in general, but I am sure Worldview is going to come up many, many times um, on these episodes. So definitely listeners, check those other episodes out, uh, but we will uh, catch you next week. If you enjoyed this week's episode, leave us a review. Or you can shoot us an email at communitylife at liberty.edu. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Liberty Community Life. We hope you enjoyed this episode. See you next time.